the uh, blood mobile really want to encourage you how many are actually going to give in the blood donation today those of you that can we appreciate it uh, your great help a great blessing uh, very much for doing so we uh, are talking about the big four john chapter 13 verse 34 through 35 says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another speaking of that it makes me think about uh, Mary Russell just a moment uh, incredibly uh, I was very unprepared for that reality as a talk with Mary fairly often and, and have had to help her with a lot of things since uh, 1977 probably when Arlene and I moved in next door to where she lived and I I think uh, I will definitely miss her she's going to be we'll have a memorial service for her next Saturday don't know what time yet as uh, finding out from her daughter but uh, she was a great lady. Many of you know her. She uh, always would be seen around here. Usually came to second service, and uh, we're going to miss her tremendously. She was a she was a great lady. She held Isaac uh, when Isaac was just first born. We moved in next to her before Isaac was born, and so she actually watched him, babysat him a couple of times for us, and and it was a great blessing to us for a lot of years. Jesus said uh, he has a new commandment. He says, I want to tell you, here it is. I've got a new commandment for you. I want you, I command you to love others like I love you. You think about that, what does that mean? Well, when you think about the way in which Jesus loved, it was incredible. He loved people who crucified him. He loved people who spat in his face, who put a crown of thorns upon his head. He loved people who mocked him. How many are there? You're able to do that now. You know, it's, it, that, that's tough. That's tough. But with God's help, we can get there. He said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And the reason that Jesus, this is the, this is the deal. Jesus wants us to do that because people matter. People matter. Now, in the late 1700s, there was a man living in Great Britain, an Englishman. His name is Jeremy Bentham. You'll see his picture up there. Actually, there's, that's the same picture spread across the screen four times, just so you can see it a little bit better. Jeremy Bentham, he, he actually died in the uh, early 1800s. And uh, he was a philosopher who lived in, in Great Britain. Jeremy Bentham uh, was an interesting character. And when I say, you know, when you see that picture up there, that is actually Jeremy Bentham sitting there. The reason is, is because Jeremy Bentham, uh, ha- he paid for a taxidermist to stuff himself, after he died, stuff him, 
put him in a glass cage, and now he sits in a museum in London. So you can go and visit Jeremy, if you'd like to, in a museum in, in London, England, and, and there he sits. Unfortunately, the taxidermist could not do his head, so they had to manufacture one and attach it between his shoulders. His real head, as you can see, is sitting on the floor between his feet. And uh, he, you can go to the museum there and, and uh, go visit Jeremy if you'd like to. Uh, the reason that he had that done was because he had developed a way of thinking that he thought was so important, he didn't want anybody to ever forget it. And so, so he wanted his body to be there where you could see him uh, stuffed and mounted on a chair in a museum so that you would never forget his way of thinking, Jeremy Bentham. Jeremy Bentham was a hedonist. Now, what is a hedonist? Well, a hedonist uh, is, is a person who believes that pleasure or happiness is, is the highest good. It's the highest good. That uh, your whole pursuit in life, the goal of your life, should be your happiness. That if, if no matter what, you would pursue happiness above all things. That you are, you are going after it. Pleasure and happiness. Always. It's a hedonist. And Jeremy Bentham was a hedonist. And as a hedonist, he had developed a, a philosophy, a belief, uh, a theory in ethical behavior called utilitarianism and we'll define that for you in just a minute but the first thing is is that he developed a theory in ethical behavior now why would he develop a theory of ethical behavior I know it all sounds very very scientific and, and why would you do that well the reason is what he wanted to do is he wanted to develop a normative course of action that would be considered ethical and moral. Meaning this, if you reject the Word of God as the authority that tells us what we ought to do under given circumstances, if you reject the Word of God, the Bible, as the standard that gives you uh, the direction on how to live your life in a moral and ethical way, if you reject that, then, then what is there to guide you in how you live and the decisions you make? What's moral and who decides what is moral? What's ethical and who, who decides what is ethical? I'll give you an example. If you reject the Bible uh, and the authority of the Word of God in how to direct and how to live your life, then you, that means you've also rejected the Ten Commandments. And, and uh, the Ten Commandments are not a standard by which you would make decisions morally and ethically. So the question would be is, uh, then what's to prevent you from murdering someone? The Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not murder. That's the authoritative standard of the Word of God. So if you reject the Word of God and, it's, and, and it's, it's, it's not real, you don't believe in it, 
then what moral standard, what guides you to decide whether or not murder is appropriate or not? What, what standard would you use? And, uh, and then you could take it further. What about then, then who's to decide what murder looks like? Is, is euthanasia, uh, is, would that be okay? Is abortion okay? You know, what, how do you decide when it's okay to take life if you refuse or reject the standard of the Word of God? And so, absent a belief in the Word of God, and that's exactly what, uh, of course, uh, Jeremy Bentham had. Jeremy Bentham, he rejected the Word of God. He rejected the belief in God. And the consequence of that is, is how does he make a moral decision? How do you make an ethical decision? So what he did is he developed a theory called utilitarianism. And what does utilitarianism mean? It means this. It, it is... The proper course of action, the proper course of action is the one that maximizes utility. Say, what? You know, what does that mean? So if you reject the Word of God as being the, the standard that helps you to know how to live out your life in a moral and ethical way, what do you use? Well, you use, in his case, utilitarianism which defines this. It says the proper course of action is the one that maxes utility, or the, 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 the way you decide what a moral or ethical decision is, what you do, you decide what to do by what maximizes utility. Well, what does that mean, to maximize utility? It means this. Whatever decision provides the greatest amount of good or the greatest amount of pleasure or the greatest amount of happiness for the greatest amount of people, then that's the right thing to do. You always just decide that utility, in his definition, means that you have determined the best, the good, the happiness, the most pleasure. So whatever maximizes your happiness, whatever maximizes, in your opinion, good for you, then that is morally correct for you to take. So an example would be this. Grandma's in her 80s now. She's got a lot of, she's got a lot of physical problems. She's got a lot of difficulties. She's got five kids, and Grandma... Uh, can't afford to pay for her own health stuff. The, the bills are mounting up and the five kids are having out of their own pockets. It's making it a little harder for them to live their lives and do what they want to do. So the five kids get together and they say, you know what, we love, we love grandma, but, but here's the deal. <clears throat> it's getting hard. And so the five of us agree that it's time to extinguish grandma's life. And, the more, and, and it becomes morally acceptable because you've got six people, five of them, their happiness would be improved if they didn't have to keep paying for grandma's health bills. So they decide to euthanize grandma and they put her to death for their own sake. And in, under, the, under the theory of utilitarianism, uh, utilitarianism, Whatever the best is, whatever the good is, whatever brings the most happiness to the most people, that determines the moral direction. It's kind of a scary place to go, don't you think? It's the same thing with, with, uh, with uh, abortion. 
We could say, here's, here's the deal. Abortion, uh, really, the, the baby is, is growing in the womb of that one woman. It's, her body is changing. Uh, everything about her is changing. It's affecting her life. It's affecting everything about her life. It doesn't really affect yours. It has nothing to do with you. It's her body. It's her life. And if she says, this is not making me happy, and this is not what I want, and this isn't what, what is best for me, under utilitarianism, she then has the moral responsibility and obligation to terminate that child's life because it's in her best interest to do so. So when you reject the Word of God as the authority by which you determine a course of action morally and ethically, what you fall to is a utilitarian theory and whatever makes you happy or whatever makes the most people happy is what you're going to do. And there's, there's, there's the basis for moral and ethical behavior. And unfortunately, that, of course, is really affecting our country and it's affecting this world in a, in a very, very difficult way. You know, it, it is with that utilitarian mindset that, that uh, Nazis in Germany slaughtered six million Jews for, for the sake of the betterment of the Aryan race. It is with a utilitarian mindset that in early American history, an entire race of people were enslaved, families broken apart, and people sold like, like cattle for the, for the sake of another race's happiness and ease of living and joy of living. The expense to the other race did not matter. In a utilitarian mindset, you can make those kinds of decisions. It's, it is also the power then today behind such issues like abortion and gay marriage. Because if if it makes somebody happy, who are you to say that they shouldn't do it and it's wrong? You see, when you, you set aside the authority of the Word of God as a document that determines our moral decision-making, this is where you have to go. It's a utilitarian kind of decision-making. See, the big four and we're talking about over these four weeks, are the four values of our church. These are the, this, it's, the, it's the why do we do what we do. Why do we, why do we uh, have certain kinds of classes? Why do we gather together on Sundays and other occasions? Why do we worship God? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we, we pray? Why do we, we have outreach events? Why do we do children's ministries? Why do we have a youth ministry? Why do we have now a food bank out at the intersection at the river site? Why, why do we do those things? Because of the values that we have as a church. And the first value that we have... The very first value is God matters. And because God matters, we read our Bible. Because God matters, we gather with others and learn the Word of God. Because God matters, we make prayer a part of our discipline in life. Because God matters, we gather together and worship the Lord together. 
Because God matters. Why does he matter? Well, because he created everything. We don't exist without him. Why does he matter? Because the Bible says that one day every one of us will stand before him and have to give an account for our life. God matters. And so, so that's the val first value. The second value is people matter. People matter. And, and because people matter, it, it determines how we live life according to the Word of God. We don't just live for ourselves. We're believers in Jesus. We're followers of Christ. We are disciples of a risen Lord. We are believers in the one who, who came and died for us and rose from the dead. And therefore, his word, the Bible, tells us how we ought to live. And so because of that, people matter. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. If someone says... I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. That's pretty strong language, don't you think? That's pretty strong language. I'm just going to read that again because that should settle into our thinking and how we think about one another. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. The standard of the word of God gives us no room. We have to love one another. We have to love people. Doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter where they're at, we have to love people. It's God's commandment to us. Recently, uh, we shared a, a series about dealing with challenging people. Now, why did we talk about dealing with challenging people? Because God gives us no room for hating anyone. We are to love one another. You think, well, there's, there's a lot of justification for not liking someone. There's a lot of justification for hating someone. There's no question about it. But God gives us no room for it because people matter to him. Every person matters. The, the guy who was spitting in Jesus' face on the day that, he was that Jesus was crucified, that man mattered to Jesus. The, the man who put a spear in the side of Jesus there was no room for Jesus in his heart to hate that man. He died for that man. Those, the, the high priest who stood at the bottom of the cross and mocked Jesus. There was no room in the heart of Jesus to hate that man who mocked him. Jesus loved him and died for him, whether the man knew it or understood it at all. Why do we talk about dealing with challenging people? Well, because some people don't make it easy to love them. Is that right? Some people make it hard to love them. Nevertheless, we're to love them. We're still supposed to love them. And the reason is because people matter. They matter, and God commands us to, to love people. The good news is that means you matter. Every one of you in this room, you matter. You matter to God, and you matter to people who love God. You matter. When man sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and they sinned against God, why didn't he just, why didn't he just 
take everything he had created and just blow it into oblivion and start over. Why mess with this? Why mess with goofballs who kind of do, he knows, the Bible says he knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. There is nothing that he does not know. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow in our lives before we ever get there, and we don't know it. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew that he would have to send his only begotten son into this world to die on a cross. Jesus knew on the throne in heaven that he was going to have to come and do that one day. Why not make it easy on himself and just blow the whole thing into oblivion? Just say, it's done, it's over, out of here. And the whole thing non-exists. And he starts over. The reason he didn't do that is because people matter. Because you matter. John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God wants to save us, not destroy us. God wants, to destroy, God wants to destroy sin, so he paid for it on the cross. But he wants to save you. He loves you. You matter to God. You may not think so. And you may think that you don't matter to anybody else either. The fact is, you do matter. You matter to God, and you matter to other people. It was for utilitarianism reasons that Cain murdered his brother Abel. Cain was unhappy because Abel pleased God, but God wasn't so pleased with Cain, and so he was unhappy, and because his unhappiness had been diminished, it gave him the right, in his mind, to kill his brother Abel. It was for utilitarian reasons, utilitarian reasons that nations will invade other nations and, and uh, take all of the resources of the land and rape the women and enslave the people uh, because if it's good for them and it's good for their nation, then why not? It's for utilitar uh, utilitarian reasons that, that uh, dictators and kings and thugs and criminals have no conscience about doing whatever satisfies them uh, to the harm of someone else as long as they're happy, as long as it, it, it helps their pleasure levels go up, then all is good. And they, they, they make a what would be assumed a moral decision to go ahead with something. We would call it immoral. We would call it unethical. We call it immoral and unethical because the Word of God says it's not right. People matter to God. They matter to Him. And so therefore, there are people that make decisions in this world not based upon the validity and authority of the Word of God, but they make their decisions on what's good for me. What's in it for me? What's the best for me? What will make me the happiest? What will satisfy my life the most? And they make their decisions, and it doesn't matter the cost to anyone else. You see, that's what happens when you reject the Word of God. And it's the reason why we boil down our values all into God matters, people matter. It's, that's why we do what we do, because God matters and people matters. 
Now, why do you and others matter to God? Insight number one. Here's why you matter to God. Because we are made in His image. Because we're made in His image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Now, I don't care what the philosophers of today say. I don't care what the moral standards of today you know, cry out for and say how unreasonable we are. It does not say male and male, he created them. It does not say female and female, he created them. And, and I know that offends and I know it hurts and I know it makes people feel bad. You know, my goal is not to make people feel bad. My goal is to say we have to live our lives according to the standard of God and His Word. And so we were created in His image. In the image of God, He created us. My children are created in my image. There's some good about that and bad about that because I'm human, God is not in the fashion that we are. Uh, My three kids, Isaac, Jacob, and Leah, created in the image of myself and Arlene, have taken on some of our characteristics because they are created in our image. And the fact that they, they are created in our image means that all three of them matter to me. They absolutely, really, really matter to me. Everything about their lives matters to me. When they laugh, I laugh. When they cry, I cry. When they hurt, I hurt. When they feel good, I feel good. I care, I, I care about, and you do yours as well, how many toes were on their feet when they were born. And I care if they lose any of them over the course of their life. I care about the color of their hair. Don't care what color it is, but I'm interested in what it is. Because I care. I care if, uh, that they... Uh, uh, I care about when they have things go well. I rejoice when things go well for them. I care about when life gets hard for them. If I, if I felt it was in their best interest, I would fix every issue that ever comes and try to do it before they ever even have to feel the pain of, of hurt and disappointment and hardship. If I could stand between them and that, I would every time. But I know, wisely so, it's, their, it's for their good that I let them go through some hardship. Is it helps to, helps to shape who they become strong rather than just weak and unable to manage anything in their life. I care about what goes on in their life. They, they, they bring me delight. I love it. You know, Isaac is so funny. You know, a lot of people, if you go over to their home, they say, they say, uh, uh, hey, you know, would you like something to drink? Can I get you a pop or something? Isaac doesn't say that. He says, he says hey, would you like a beverage? Who uses the word beverage? <laughs> Isaac does. And I love it. It delights me. 
It's who he is. Everything about him and everything about Jacob and everything about Leah absolutely matters to me because they matter. They are my kids. They're my children. They're not somebody else's. They're mine. And they matter to me as a result. The Bible says that you and I, we are the children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. He says, wow, think about it. Think about what kind of love has been poured out on us because God decided he would call us his kids. Incredible. We're his children. We matter to God. You matter to God. We should never forget, men... Men, you should never forget, when you look upon a, a woman with lust or you, you are tempted to violate boundaries that are appropriate because of lust, never forget this. That woman is the daughter of God. And when you prepare to lay your hands on that woman, you know this, you're laying your hands on the woman of, on a daughter of God. This is why it's important. When you think about men, when you, you're, you're ready and you're thinking about marriage and you're moving towards that, remember something. God's going to hold you accountable because that girl that you're marrying, she belongs to God. She's the daughter of God. So you don't just give in to whatever makes you happy. You don't just give in to whatever pleasures are there. That's utilitarianism. You honor the word of God and remember, that woman is God's daughter. You behave yourself towards her. Bible says, uh, ladies, these men that cause you such grief and pain and not-headedness that don't do what you want when you want it how you want it and they don't show up on time and they're late and they're whatever remember something that man is God's son and before you go ripping him into a thousand shreds remember you're ripping one of God's sons into a thousand shreds the men, when, before you start in, in all your anger and frustration because he's not headed and not doing what you want, when you want, and how you want it, remember something. He is God's son. You should speak to him with respect because he is God's son. When, when children are dealing with their parents, the Bible says honor. Honor them. You know, why? Because... They may be your parents, but that's still God's son and that's still God's daughter. When you're dealing with your own children, yeah, okay, they're made in your image, but they're made in God's image as well. And that son of yours is God's son. And that daughter of yours is God's daughter. And we ought to treat them with love and kindness and respect. Yes, correct them where they need to be corrected. Yes, channel it. But don't forget something. We matter to God. We're his children. And God takes it serious that we handle one another in a way that is helpful. Why do people matter? Insight number two. Because Jesus died for you. Because he died for all. He died for you. He died for all. John chapter 3 verse 17 again. We read it once, but here it is again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus died for people. 
that person that that uh, that sits across from you in the church that you really have a hard time with Jesus loves that person died for them that neighbor who lives next door or across the street that just really you just have no no time for it all could care less about them they're just a pain in the neck Jesus died for that person that individual in your history that did you wrong and, and you're having trouble overcoming it Jesus loves that person and died that for that person doesn't love what they did to you but he died for him he, Jesus loves them and the result of it is is that, that people matter now every one of us have a choice to make Jesus so loved us that he died to pay for our sins so we don't have to pay for our own. But if we choose to not, like Jeremy Bentham, if we choose to not accept the free gift of Jesus paying for my sins, I'm going to have to pay for my own sins. You can have yourself stuffed and mounted wherever you want to, but you won't be there because your soul and your spirit has to stand before God and give an account. And the Bible is clear that once that account is given, you will either have heaven or you'll have hell. And, and if you get heaven, it's eternal life. If you get hell, it's eternal death. Here's what it says, Revelation 21, verse 7 and 8. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Seriously? How can a person die twice? The Bible says it's appointed a man once to die. In history, it's proven out that the Bible is correct on that. Everybody dies once. But on the other side of death, your spirit and soul will stand before God. Your flesh has died. Jeremy Bentham is still hanging out in London. But he's not there. His body is. He died. His body died. It's hanging out there, but it's, it's dead. His spirit and his soul went before the throne of God and has to give an account. Now the only question is, will he now experience another death, a second death, or will he experience eternal life? And the decision by which that determination is made is, what did he do with Jesus? <clears throat> did he accept what Jesus did for him? Did he accept the payment for his sins? Or did he reject the word of God? Or did he live for pleasure and, and his own happiness and his own good, forget about anybody else? Has he made a decision to live his life for the Lord and based upon the word of God? That's, that's what will decide it. Jesus paid for our sins so we would not have to. People matter so much that Jesus did that for us. So here's the observation. My actions should be people-serving, not self-serving. My actions should be people-serving, not self-serving. You know, there are times in which that can be costly. It, it costs us sometimes to be people-serving and not self-serving. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we have to let people use us and abuse us and take advantage of us and walk all over us. It doesn't mean that. There's a place for proper boundaries, no question about it. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, the motivation of my life and, and the observation of others about my life should be and should be of yours that my actions are people-serving, not, not self-serving. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Uh, just let me reread that. Do all things without complaining and disputing. I think I need to rewrite that, read, read that again. And maybe it's the translation or something because that's, that's quite a mouthful. Do all things without complaining and disputing. All right. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. What, what is a crooked and perverse generation? It's a generation that has a utilitarian mindset. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a generation, it is a people who live for their own happiness and pleasure regardless of the cost to anybody else. It's a crooked and perverse generation. I don't care about the cost to you as long as I'm happy. It's a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. See, if people matter, then we should be people-serving, not self-serving. In the Ten Commandments, God said we're not to covet. Well, it means that I'm, I should always be prepared to celebrate when somebody else gets blessed, even if I don't get blessed. How come they always get? How come they always get? What, how come nobody notices me? You know, I want to sing up here too, and they don't ever let me sing. How come they don't let me sing? I can beat on a drum. I mean, what's the deal? Why don't they let me beat on a drum? You know, what's the deal? How come I don't get to teach? How come they never, you know, they never call me? How come they don't ever call me? They call everybody else, but they never call me. How come they don't, uh, how come they don't get, don't bring me a meal when I'm not feeling well? And they bring everybody else meals, but they don't forget. Let me see here. What did that say? Do all things without complaining and disputing. You know, it gets really easy to make life about me. It gets real easy to do that. All of us are susceptible to it. And Jeremy Bentham put a, put a theory of ethical and moral behavior attached to it as if it would be right. It runs counter against the Word of God. Jesus lived the absolute, absolute opposite of that. He lived for the good of others. When, I, when he stood with a group of people on a mountainside and he saw they were hungry and tired, he said to the disciples, he said, you know what, these 5,000 people, they got to be getting hungry. Let's get them something to eat. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Where are we going to get that? We haven't got that kind of money. We ain't got that kind of food. Well, what do you got? Well, you got a couple of fish here and some few loaves of bread. Great, let's take that. Let's do something with it. You know, let's, let's make it happen. You know, he's thinking about the people. So he's trying to, trying to do something with the people, help them out. I'm sure that, that when other people walked by a leper and Jesus did not, people could have said, what's he doing touching a leper? <clears throat> that leper had been abandoned by people and he was an outcast of people. But Jesus cared because that man mattered. 
A blind man, who would care? Just throw a few coins in once in a while and satisfy your, your need to feel like you cared a little bit. Jesus goes beyond it and heals the man's eyes. You know, Jesus died on the cross. Why did he do that? Because you matter. People matter. And I got two questions today, this morning. The first one is, are you going through life feeling like you don't matter? You don't matter to God and you don't matter to anyone else? That is a lie out of the pit of hell. God cares about you. He loves you. You matter. Now it might be people may have difficulty figuring out how to, to manage that with you because we're human. But God loves you and you matter. And we ought to behave that way. And you don't have to go through life always feeling that way. If you begin to look towards God and you begin to follow the pattern of his word and don't live just in a utilitarian way in which you just live for yourself and your own happiness, but do something, which is the second thing. What do each of us do? What do you do to help somebody else? What are you doing to make life better for someone else? What are you doing to make life uh, worth living for someone else? If your life is so in here that you can't live to do something good for someone else, you're going to dry up like an old prune. The way we have God built us to care because people matter. Best thing you can do is to start making a decision this week. This week, what can I do to be a blessing to someone else? Well, how can I give out of myself to make, make someone else's life a little bit better? I don't have much I don't have anything to give. I don't have, I don't even know what to do. I don't even think I'm all that smart. I don't know what to do. Then just smile at someone. Put your hand on someone's shoulder and say, hey, you know what? You matter. If that's all you got, give them that. That's better than nothing at all. And the more you do it, you'll find God begins to strengthen you on the inside as well. We're going to close in prayer. But as we do, I want to just invite you to just bow your heads for a moment. And, and there might be one, two, three, five, ten, fifteen of you that need to courageously take this step because you feel like at times you really don't matter. You don't matter. Sometimes you wonder if you matter to God. Other times you wonder if you matter to people. You just don't know. You just, you're just not sure. And you just need to, to step out of your chair, come forward, and let us pray for you. Let us pray that God will minister life to you, that God will help you, because you matter to God. There might not be anybody here. You might be the only one here. Who knows? But if it's in your heart and somehow you just feel so void of anything, you know, like, would anybody care? Does anybody care? Does God care? He absolutely does. You matter to God. And God said you ought to matter to his people, his people. If that's you, I want to encourage you just to come right now. Just have the courage just to step right up and come right forward. Not going to embarrass you, not going to humiliate you, not going to, no matter how many there are, just going to pray that God will minister to you today. He can do it. He can do it. Because you matter to God. Anyone else?
Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. You matter to God. You matter to us. I want to just invite a few people, if you feel led to, come and stand around these ladies and and just uh, put an arm around them and hand upon them, and we're going to pray for them today. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we just thank you for these two. We really do. I thank you for them both, Jesus. Sometimes, Lord, life gets burdensome. It does for all of us. Sometimes life is is almost so burdensome that, Lord, we just think, wow, I don't know if I can go another day at this. I don't know if I can go another hour with this. But God, you come through. You always do because every one of us matters, matters to you. And Lord, we ought to care for one another. So I ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that God, you would today, this very day, settle it in their hearts. Not not to look at all the circumstances gone wrong, Not to look at the emptiness of things that you wish were filled up, but to look at this reality. God already proved it. He died. Jesus died to give us life, and we will have life. And though in our humanity, sometimes we fail one another, sometimes we're less than what we ought to be, the truth of the matter is deeply we really do care. Lord, we really do care. These ladies matter. What happens in their life matters. I think about Mary Russell and Lord, how her life so often was was so difficult, so hard. But Lord, now she walks the streets of gold in heaven because she mattered to you and because she knew it, Lord. And I thank you that she'll never, ever have to worry about those things. But Lord, while you give us opportunity and time, we should, Lord, help others around us, regardless of our lack, regardless of how hard life gets, we should show others that they matter. And out of that, Lord, would you strengthen each of us and strengthen these ladies who are good women. And I pray, Jesus... I pray, Jesus, that they would see evidence of the fact that you, Lord, believe in them, that you love them, and that others do as well. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would you stand together? Two things. The, uh, the mobile is out there. Please give blood if you can. The cafe is open. Buy some bacon if you can. Give someone near you a good squeeze. Let them know you love them. I've got to go to the blood bank right away, so I will have to kind of pass through all of you quickly and get on the bus so I can give blood before the second service. But would you give someone near you a good squeeze? We love you. God bless you.
Jesus' blood and righteousness.